Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're back. It's Thursday, and, uh, well, a lot of things happening in New York, a lot of things happening in the world. In the studio with us, we have... uh, uh, State Chairman Ed Cox, welcome, Ed. Governor David Patterson, welcome. Thank you. And uh, Justice, Judge. No, I, I, no Justice I, is right. Yes, right. your judgeship. Right. We judge, were calling him judge, judge, Your judgeship. Your judgeship. <laughs> your governorship is here. The chairmanship Richard, is here. Richard Weinberg and uh, Rita on my side. Yeah. And uh, Curtis just walked in. I know Sid Rosenberg uh, is on the line and. Curtis and Sid, you have a bigger event in uh, in uh, two hours. Tell yeah. us. Yeah, we do. Uh, this is uh, the biggest one yet. I, I have the fortunate opportunity, John and Rita, as you guys know, and the whole crew there, to now take part in three of these with Curtis. Two of these Curtis actually planned. Uh, the other one was planned by Assemblywoman Jamie Williams. She'll be there tonight as well. But this is the big one. And the reason why, guys, it's very simple, is because we are at that point. It is crunch time. A month and a half ago, we started this. A month ago, did those two rallies. We were talking about the potential of illegals arriving. Now it's here. Now, before you know it, Bell Harbor, Breezy Point, Rockaway, Brooklyn, Mill Basin, we're going to be bombarded with these people. So it is crunch time. And if you really want really want to make sure these people are not here tonight, tonight to be at Floyd Bennett Field, it all starts at 7 o'clock. And Curtis, you're in studio, buddy. Take it away because... This is your baby. You've been great with this, whether it's been Creedmoor in Queens, on Staten Island, here in Make Portland, sure, Curtis, Rockland, make sure you don't get Sid arrested. I need him at yes. 6 o'clock in the morning. Yes. <laughs> Come on, Sid. Stay out. Stay out. No, stay no, clean. Will I can't enable on that. He said he will not get arrested. It's okay. But tonight is not a, a night of civil disobedience. Nobody will be arrested. Our biggest problem will be fighting off the mosquitoes. Because Floyd Bennett Field is a flood zone. By the way, there's some big ones these days. Huge. They're huge. They're and like, you know, you're Godzilla. Not, you're not supposed to house people on flood zones. We all know what happened to that area during Superstorm Sandy. The Rockaways got wiped out, Broad Channel, uh, Gravesend, uh, uh, Garrison Beach wiped out. And they know they can't put people there to live. That's one of the uh, articles that uh, Lou and Mark from Staten Island have gone into federal court to say it's a floodplain. You cannot house people there. But the mayor, the governor, and the president have basically said F you to everybody. We're putting the tents in. They had signed contracts yesterday that I reported on exclusively here at WABC. City Hall denied it. They're lying on everything. So we're just moving ahead. Wow. And, and Sid Rosenberg, you love this air, this area. That's why you're fighting against this migrant shelter. Talk about why this is near and dear to you. You're right, Rita, and I've said this a few times on the air. When I was uh, first married back in 1992, my beautiful wife, Danielle, her grandparents who raised her because her mom was tragically killed when she was eight years old, her grandparents raised her and her grandparents' best friends 
lived here in Bell Harbor. And every weekend, for as long as I can remember, 32, 33 years ago, we came to Bell Harbor to visit Rose and Arthur Clark. That was their name. They're both gone now. And we fell in love with this area. And we said 32 years ago, there's going to come a day, one day, if we do well enough, we want to move here. And that dream, Rita and John, became a reality less than two years ago. And now to think less than two years later, after spending seven figures on a beautiful house in a beautiful community, we'd be dealing with this nonsense because, again, dereliction of duty between the governor, the mayor and the president is unbelievable. It's disgusting. I know folks out there try to defend Mayor Adams. Stop. You sound stupid. He was welcoming all these people with open arms not that long ago, called us a sanctuary city, said, come one, come all. Now he figured out, oh, my God, the borders are open. It's not going to stop. It's going to destroy this city. How did Curtis and Sid know that was the case a year ago and Mayor Adams didn't? Please, without that stupid. So between Adams and Hochul and Biden, they're destroying this town. They're destroying this city. They're destroying this state and, quite frankly, destroying this country. And uh, Ed Cox has a question for you. Yeah. From what I understand, they're going to be sheltering these migrants on a floodplain right as the hurricane season hits New York. And there's a big one. It's uh, runway 19, which is uh, John would know that's the emergency runway uh, should a 747 C4 transport not be able to land to Kennedy. They land there at LaGuardia. There's no drainage. Uh, It's already flooded. You have mosquitoes everywhere. And yet the state officials, the city officials, and the federal officials are there as we speak, plotting it out. And they'll have it up in 72 hours. And they're using the cover of Rosh Hashanah to get the tent up and the illegal aliens in. So by Yom Kippur, you have 7,500 single, able-bodied young men with nothing to do and nowhere to go. Governor Patterson, last uh, last call before we go to uh, Alan Gershowitz. I just want to object that Ed Cox, the chair of the Republican Party statewide, punched me in the stomach and took my microphone away from me a moment ago. Oh! <laughs> Whoa! By the way, I, I, I want to know why Sid was able to buy a, a seven-figure house. I think he's getting yeah, paid too much. That's, that's a whole other issue. But go ahead. Go he ahead, Governor. He didn't tell you about his mortgage that way. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, a, this is a kind of an appalling state because um, – it's it's just not even humane to do to place people in that kind of danger after all they've been through. You mean the neighborhood? Yeah, in the, the neighborhood. I understand that. And, and me and Curtis, we have made it very, very clear from the very beginning. We don't blame the illegals or you want to call them migrants or asylum seekers. That's embarrassing, too. We don't blame the illegals. But you have to excuse me, Governor Patterson. They're very low on the list of people I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about my wife. I'm concerned about my daughter. I'm concerned about the kids in my community. So, yes, we, we don't we don't hate these people. It's not their fault. I would do the same thing if I woke up in Honduras this morning. But please, when you start talking about the people most affected, they're at the very bottom of the list. I care about Americans, my neighbors and this community, not these people living on my taxpayer money. I care. I, I care about the American poor before I care about the South American poor. Agreed. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You, Thank you. Thank and, you. And we don't know who they are. I mean, I yeah. also care about vetting them, too. That's the other issue, yes, too. Yes. Right. 
Well, we, we got to thank you, Sid. We got to go to Alan Dershowitz. Yep. Thank you, Sid. Thank you, Curtis. And good luck tonight. Nice. Good luck. Stay out. And keep Stay Sid out. out of Alan, Alan, we love you, baby. We love you, Dersh. Hey, we'll, we'll bring him in. All right. Let's go to Professor Alan Dershowitz now. Uh, the other huge story today, uh, three gun charges. Hunter Biden has been indicted on the firearm charges. Everybody was wondering, would any charges come against Hunter Biden? Joining us now is Alan Dershowitz, uh, Professor. Professor Emeritus there at Harvard, and also his great book called Get Trump. Professor, uh, your reaction? Well, I predicted it. Uh, as soon as I saw the deal fall apart, which I also predicted, I said that there'd have to be an indictment. Now, what's going to happen now, listen very carefully, because it's a little complicated. He's not going to plead completely guilty. He's going to make a plea bargain. He's going to do what's called a stipulated plea. Let me explain very simply how that works. He's going to say, I did what you said I did. I lied on my forms. I don't deny it. But the Second Amendment doesn't permit the government to ask me whether I have used drugs. So he's going to make a Second Amendment defense in the appellate courts, hoping to get the support of conservatives and Second Amendment people on his appeal. But he's not going to dispute the fact underlying the charges you know what you know what the irony is professor he is then going and saying that the law that his father has been pushing so much against every other american citizen is violating basically second amendment rights think about the irony of that no of course no look the whole thing is so ironic to have the son of somebody who supports very clearly uh the right of the states to control and regulate guns and the right of the federal government to regulate guns, he's now going to be making a Second Amendment argument. But the end result is going to be a probationary sentence. He's not going to prison. Almost nobody goes to prison for telling lies on a gun application form. He may very well be indicted as well on the tax cases. But remember, he isn't being charged with not paying the taxes. He paid the taxes. He just paid them very late. And so generally there aren't uh, prison terms for that as well. The real issue is not the one we're talking about. The real issue is what else is there? Beyond these two small charges, what about the big allegations about Burisma, about Ukraine, about China, about his incompetence to be receiving the kind of money he got for doing anything but giving access uh, to the White House? That's the elephant in the room. And that's not what these two cases are about. And uh, Professor Dershowitz, uh, we have Judge Weinberg for you. Okay, welcome back, Alan. Farah, the Foreign Registration Act, sent right. Manafort a conviction and to jail. Right. And so how do they there, get around? A, how do they get around that? They may try to get around parts of it, at least through the statute of limitations. Now, Farah is a continuing obligation. As long as you're Doing work for a foreign government, you have to register. So I think they may very well be able to get him for that, and people do do time for that. Um, we'll have to see what the facts, the dates, everything. The devil is in the details, always. But this indictment is not a big deal, because it will. this indictment itself will not end up with prison time. It will end up with a guilty verdict on his record, whereas previously under the sweetheart deal, um, there was going to be no uh, record. He would be diverted. That means no guilty plea, no admission of guilt, and no criminal record. You could always say, 
I was never convicted of anything. I have you, a clean record. You said something just very interesting. Now you used the word diversion. The defense yeah. counsel also arguing, Alan, that because of the diversion agreement, the prosecution is blocked from doing this prosecution. What do you say about that? You know, they didn't agree to it. Uh, here's There's the no signatories on that. This, this. Well, they, they, the two agreed. The prosecution and the defense agreed. It's the judge who didn't agree. So they're going to make an argument that since diversion generally doesn't require judicial approval, there was a deal. And you know, we'll have to see how the courts resolve that. He has a brilliant lawyer. Uh, Abby Lowell is as good as they get. And uh, he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think he will try to make a double jeopardy argument that he did, in fact, make a deal. But um, it's not clear how it will come out because the judge didn't... Uh, didn't agree to the deal. You know, uh, Professor, the thing they're also talking about today is also uh, the pardon issue, because uh, people are saying, well, could President Biden preemptively pardon his son? He can, but he won't. He won't. He's not going to do that. He's not going to um, get into the gutter uh, with the other side. He's going to want to be perceived as above it all. Uh, he's going to want to say, look, I believe in law, whether it applies to my son or not. Unlike Trump, who pardoned all of his buddies, you know, all of that. He's he uh, already the New York Times had a story saying that Biden is treating the impeachment claims against him politically, not legally. And so I think that we can predict with fairly great assurance that uh, Biden will not pardon his son. And uh, uh, Governor uh, David Patterson, you got a question for Dershowitz? No, I just agree with him that that would really, uh, I think, change his perception for uh, such a part of the American public that doesn't feel that way now, that he he would lose them. If he pardoned his son. I agree. I agree that it would be politically a devastating act, especially if he's not going to get prison time. Why should he give up so much politically just to save his son reputationally? I mean, one other possibility is he doesn't pardon his son. He runs for a second term. He loses. If he loses, he pardons his son as he's leaving office. If he wins, he pardons his son during his next term. But he doesn't pardon his son while he's still up for election. That's clear. So Ed Cox here, uh, Alan. The Foreign Agents Registration Act. Uh, yeah. If, if, first of all, is that so obvious that the special counsel will have to bring it? And secondly, doesn't that lead to the vice former vice president uh, and implicate him? Well, um, you know, I think everybody on the Democratic side is going to try to build a wall between Hunter Biden and and Joe Biden. And no, the the special counsel does not have to indict under Farah. It really depends on when the acts that constitute the elements of the crime occurred, statutes, limitations, all of those things. You have to know more about the chronology to know but if there's a clear, clear, clear violation of Farrow within the statute of limitations, then I think he's probably going to have to bring it. And that does carry with it prison time. You know, the other thing, too, we were talking with um, Rudy Giuliani earlier, and Rudy yep. brought up that in this case with Hunter Biden, um, he was saying that he's been in treatment for 19 times as a drug addict um, and obviously has had a history of it. He lied on the forum by his own admission. Um, so. Could that become an aggravating factor that maybe doesn't guarantee he would not have jail time? It could go either way. It could be a mitigating factor, you know, drug addiction. It could be an aggravating factor. But in general, for this kind of crime, 
where, you know, generally this case is brought against people who have used the gun in another crime. And then they add, oh, and he lied on his form. That's how he got the gun. But it's very rare to give prison time to somebody who is just convicted of having lied on his form to get a gun, the gun of which was then thrown into the garbage pail by by, by the wife just uh, a few days later. So I, I predict with fairly great certainty, no jail time. All right. Well, Professor Alan Dershowitz, really interesting. Uh, we're going to be talking more about this later on in the show. Love having you on on this big breaking news Always day. Thank you, Alan. Thank, Thank you. you. And, of course, crime, John, is a huge issue in New York City. And the next guest that we have here knows it all too well. Madeline Brame, everybody remembers her from the hearings that took place in New York that Jim Jordan led, uh, where she talked about losing her son and then saying that justice was not served, she believes, through the DA's office, the sort of soft on crime policies of New York. Joining us now is Madeline Brame. And Madeline, it's really great to have you back on the show. Uh, you're jumping into politics. Uh, tell us oh, why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me on. I decided to jump in because change is needed. Change is needed. You know, um, fresh, new, creative, innovative, different face, different style, different culture is needed. And... I'm trying to encourage those who are on the fence about jumping into, you know, politics to go ahead and take the plunge and do it. All right. Be a part of the change. Be a part of changing the narrative in our poor minority communities. When I say that, I'd like to expand on that a little bit. Poor minorities, meaning black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Jewish Italian, anywhere people are facing the current climate that we are living in in New York. Now, where, where are you running? Where are you running? Uh, I, I'm running in New York 16. I'm running against Jamal Bauman. And uh, is that a, is that a congressional seat? Yes. Yes, it is. Wow. Yes, it is. And, and you were. And you're running as a, is Jerome Bauman a Democrat? And you're running as, as a I'm Democrat a, or you're running as I'm what? a Republican. I'm a Republican. But you were a Democrat, right? You switched. For 40 years. 40 years. I, I was a 40-year Democrat, and I changed party affiliation about um, maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, because I realized that I was voting against my own best interests for all of these years, also because of the treatment that I received after my son was killed by the uh, Democratic establishment in New York. Can you tell us real quick, justice. Madeline, what uh-huh. happened? Can you tell us again what happened with your son and, and how you feel it slipped through the cracks that a lot of the attackers barely got time? Yes. Well, Hassan, uh, Sergeant Hassan, Afghanistan war retired veteran, he um, was stabbed to death in Harlem in 2018 by four people he didn't know. Um, Hassan was attacked by these four people, these uh, vicious um, homicidal maniacs. They butchered him. They punched him, they kicked him, they stomped him. Um, the case was handled by Manhattan District Attorney's Office when Cyrus Vance was in office. We had a really old school, you know, hardcore, hard, hardcore district attorney who prepared a strong trial ready case. And, uh, then Bragg came into office in 2020. He was handed the case and it completely fell apart. All four of these individuals were caught on video 
participating in the murder of my son. And all of them were indicted and uh, charged with first degree gang assault and second degree murder. When Brad came in, he completely dismissed those murder and gang, gang assault indictments against two of the people and gave them um, sweetheart deals. Mary Saunders got 14 months time served. So she was out on bail because of bail reform. They reduced her bail from 750 down to 12,000. Wow. So she was out on bail. And then Travis Stewart, he uh, was looking at uh, 15, 15 to life, and um, they gave him seven years. So he's probably out by now because, remember, we're counting back five years, right? So he's probably out. The two brothers, James and Christopher Saunders, um, James, the actual stabber, he was also given a plea, a plea bargain, and he uh, pled guilty, and they, they gave him 20 to life. And uh, Christopher went to trial. So out of the four, only one of them actually went to trial. And if I hadn't have fought tooth and nail for all these years, all four of them would have gotten sweetheart deals. Well, bravo for well, what bravo you're doing. And, uh, uh, keep us informed on your race, and uh, we'd like to know what the, uh, what's going on. Yeah, you're welcome back Thank anytime, you. Madeline. We're, we're rooting Thank for you. Thank you so much. Thank and you. please, really quick. I would like your listeners to please go to WinRed Brain for Congress and please donate so I can so you can help me raise seed money so I can at so least tell people, my campaign. Tell process. people how to spell it. Okay, it's WinRed W I N R E D Brain. My last name B R A M E for Congress. Okay, WinRed Brain for Congress. My recommendation: get a shorter one. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it came yeah, yeah try to get a yeah, shorter change one it. Get a shorter yeah you one. can get a shorter one because it's just the beginning madeline uh, thank yeah. you we love having thank you on so much for having me thank, thank you. you let's take a break right now when we come back steve moore steve moore to find out no we don't we do yep, yes we do <laughs> how the heck the economy is going and what's going on with the general motors strike let's take that break Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. Everybody watching to see if there will be a big UAW strike. Uh, Biden, by the way, just a little bit ago, touting his Bidenomics in a big speech. No comment on the Hunter Biden charges. And joining us now is Steve Moore, who is, of course, right on uh, after Larry Kudlow on Saturdays on WABC. More money, which we love, a great economist. Uh, Steve, great to have you here. Where, First off, where is this strike headed? Because this could be dead. Devastating if it happens. Hi, John. Well, the latest as of an hour ago is these sides are not near uh, a negotiated settlement. Now, what the uh, what the uh, big three auto companies are asking for is somewhere between a 30 and 40 percent increase in their salary over three years. Given how high inflation is, maybe maybe they may deserve that. But then. John, and I'm confused about whether this is an addition to that. They also want to be paid 40 hours a week for a 32-hour week work week, which is, you know, if my math is right, another, you know, 10, 20% increase in, in their salary. So uh, they're asking for a lot. On the other hand, Rita, you know, workers have gotten screwed by Bidenomics, where most union workers over the last couple of years have lost money. 
due to inflation. Yeah, and, and it just came out the other day that for three years in a row, Americans, uh, their salaries have yep. gone down. It's like well, across the board. Let me ask one question. It's, uh, yeah. uh, Ford was reporting how much money they were losing on electric vehicles. Yep. Uh, for two quarters in a row, in a row they yep. lost over $4 billion. Yep. And General Motors has never broken it down. Well, good point, John. And and incidentally, the federal government is providing subsidies to these companies. To So I don't know if that loss number that you just cited includes the money that they're getting from the United States government, which is crazy. Because, well, what, you know, what Ford did. Them billions of dollars instead of retrofit bu- all of Yeah, when, what Ford yeah. did, instead of building electric vehicles, they now went to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, A hybrid. 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 Hybrid vehicles. Hybrids. Yeah, hi- hybrids are actually popular. Look, I went out for, you know, I have 160,000 miles of my cars. A couple of weeks ago, went to a new car showroom and looked at the lots. And, you know, it's so amazing. They had hundreds and hundreds of electric vehicles, but they didn't have many at all of the old-fashioned gas cars, which is what I want. And by the way, I'm pro-choice. If people want to buy an electric car, you know, God love them, go ahead and do it. But I think these auto companies, John, are making a big mistake trying to force-feed people cars that they don't want to buy. Steve, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I think the problem isn't so much that the car companies are trying to force people to do it. It's the government and their mandates and their indirect regulations that are compelling the car companies to to do it. And, but I have to say, I think they're both at fault here. So the government is basically pushing them, you know, pu- pushing these, uh, you know, uh, electric vehicles down their throats. But the car companies just kind of thrown in the towel, make electric vehicles. I mean, Ford and and, and GM have basically said, we're going to stop making regular cars. You know, only, you know, between 5 and 10% of the cars that are sold right now are electric vehicles. You know, if you look at the polling, well over 60% of Americans say they don't want an electric vehicle. So how do you how do you sell cars to people that they don't want? Yeah, and by the way, Steve, did you see this? Uh, it's been making a lot of headlines that um, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, cops had to be called. I saw um, that. Yes, yeah, because her staffer was using a gas powered a oh, car to hold an EV charging spot. <laughs> you can't it, make yeah. it up. It's, it's an amazing, it's a hilarious story. Whoever did the advance for, so Jennifer Granholm, for people who don't follow the story, she was, you know, had all the media with her. She was trying to show all the virtues of buying an electric vehicle. Well, guess what? Uh, she practically ran out of juice on her car and they couldn't find anywhere to fill up, you know, to get a, uh, you know, a, a charge for their car. So they asked the, one of her, her aides, to go park the gas car in the stall for the electric vehicles. And people started complaining, say, get out of here. This is just an electric vehicle. I mean, the whole thing was just a a PR (laughs) disaster for Jennifer Granholm. Yeah, you can't make it up. Ed Cox? Yeah, how about about California? It's not just the federal government, but California is is, Uh, is requiring electric vehicles. Does that mean that the whole uh, automobile manufacturing industry has to – have California be the, the the tail that wags the total dog in the country? Well, that's a great point. I think that's something that's going to be sorted out by the courts about whether the look, I think the answer should be, uh, look, cars are essential to interstate commerce, right? Cars and trucks. So for one state to say, oh, you have to make cars only one way. No, I think that is a, I think the courts to strike that down. By the way, they also, it's, they're such idiots in California. They want to get rid of um, diesel for trucks. Well, h- how are you going to run a two, you know, a one tr- ton truck uh, carrying huge, heavy cargo 
with an electric battery. I mean, it doesn't even work. It is insane. By the way, you had a big column out also, uh, Steve. We love your columns. And you talked about Thank the you. poverty index. Yeah, oh, and yeah. you called him the poverty president, the poverty this president. president. Yeah. yeah. So explain your, your double P's. Uh, well, this is just a tragic story. You know, I mean, and, and you just announced that Biden gave his big speech uh, just what? an hour ago saying how wonderful Bidenomics is. And I'm like, well, for what country is he talking about? Because the poverty rate, uh, it was just announced Tuesday, went up by one of the biggest increases in poverty ever in the history of the country. And the child poverty rate doubled. So you've got more poor people. The median income fell. How in the world, Rita, is that good news? How can you celebrate this terrible news? Meanwhile, gas prices are going up by another 50 cents a gallon. Inflation is going back up. How, what? Somebody show me where the success is in Bidenomics. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and in fact, uh, Hispanic poverty rate twenty percent. I was seeing African American yeah. poverty rate eighteen yeah. percent. I mean, these are these are yeah, huge Rita, numbers. Rita, you know what's so uh, you know heartbreaking to me? In two thousand nineteen, towards the tail end of Trump's presidency, we had the lowest poverty rate ever, ever recorded in American history, and the lowest poverty rate for Black Americans, Hispanic Americans, women, any other group you want to uh, to look at. We lowered the poverty rate, and now it's going straight up. Yeah, really sad for everybody. Well, uh, Steve Moore, we love you. Keep us posted also on the UAW strike too and everything because that, that deadline. Thing, yeah. You know, I, I hope, I hope they don't go on strike, but boy, they're far apart right now. Yeah, absolutely. More money, everybody on Saturdays, of course, on WABC. We love you, Steve. Thank you. Okay, Thank guys. you, Steve. Have a great time. Bye. And now let's take a, let's take that break. And when we come back, we got Commissioner Zach Isco. To find out what the heck is going on, nobody knows what the count is in uh, migrants in New York City. First it was 120,000, now we're down to 60. What happened to the other 60? You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, Mayor Eric Adams has said that the migrant crisis is going to bust New York, that it is a dire crisis. I think everybody agrees on that. And joining us now to talk about all the latest is Commissioner Zach Iskell. He is the Commissioner for Emergency Management for the City of New York. And uh, Commissioner, it's great to have you here. Can you just kind of give us a, a latest number of how many are in New York, and how many more shelters are popping up, too? Yeah, so first off, John and Rita, thank you for continuing to talk about and cover this important issue. It certainly is an emergency, and uh, really appreciate the uh, all the work that you guys are doing to keep, uh, keep the spotlight on it. So as of September 10th, uh, the city has now uh, had over 113,000 asylum seekers and migrants come through the city since the spring of 2022. Just to be clear, there's a lot of folks that are coming here as migrants, asylum seekers that are not coming into the system. But we've had 113,000 that have come through our system and just under 60,000. It's about 59,900 are currently in our care at 208 sites across the city. Um, so it's a significant number of people and about uh, uh, just around 20,000 of them are children. So what was what, how do you know, like the numbers to be exact also, Commissioner, because that's the one thing I'm sure it's difficult to keep track of. But. Where are the other, you know, uh, obviously in this case, the other 73,000? 
So uh, that's quick math, Rita. Um, so I would not have been able to come up with that. Number. I know. Aren't you impressed, by the way? And, We're and you, impressed, Rita. You know, I that got a was, broadcasting really degree. Well My dad wanted me to go into math because he said I was pretty yeah. good. But go ahead. I was in the Marines, so math is not necessarily my great strength. But, um, but, I, but you know, people are um, people are allowed to. Uh, they they uh, there's a lot of sort of misinformation out there about the process, right? And so. People are allowed to seek asylum in the United States. It's it's granted under federal law. They're entitled to due process. People come through the border. They're paroled by Department of Homeland Security. They make their way all across the United States. Um, and a lot of people come to New York City. And so folks come into our system. A lot of them then find relatives, family, support networks. They start working in the informal economy. They get a work permit. They go out on their own and they they set up and they set up roots. And um, you know where they go, uh, we are not exactly sure. We don't track that. It's not our job to track that. Um, but for us, it's a positive sign, right? We don't want people in our care. We want people um, getting on their own two feet, and that that is hopefully what's happening with the seventy three thousand that have exited our system over the last year. Are there any checks happening, Commissioner, like, you know, um, now with COVID coming back for vaccines? And also, what's the latest with, you know, it's hard to do a criminal background check of these folks if they're, you know, if they have something from a foreign country, because it's not like those other countries are providing that information. Yeah. So again, you know, the, the federal government, I work for the city, the federal government, it's, it's not trying to make any excuses here or point any fingers, but when folks come over the border and they're paroled and, and I encourage you to have somebody from Department of Homeland Security or the federal government that can talk much more better than I can about this. But part of the process that they're supposed to run is they do background checks, they do biometric screenings, they check them against different uh, different systems. For us, when people arrive in the city, everybody goes through a uh, the arrival center that we set up at the Roosevelt Hotel, and we're processing about 3,000 people a week there. And part of that is we're looking at their paperwork, uh, we're doing healthcare checks, we're doing vaccinations, and then you asked about how we track where people are. We assign people beds in the system, and so that's the front door to the 208 emergency shelters and sites across the city that we're operating. So uh, Ed Cox here, Commissioner. So New York City is unique in that it has a right to shelter. It's not a law. It's court-made law, if you will, and therefore can be challenged in the courts. So how is that being challenged or asked to be revised? What's going on in the courts with respect to this unique burden that New York City has? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is this is not just because of the right to shelter. The right to shelter is a is a significant component of it. But the fact is, is this is a national crisis and it demands a national response. And the mayor and the administration and myself, we have been very, very clear that this demands federal action in in emergency management 101. Uh, when the local jurisdiction needs help. Uh, we turned to the state. We turned to the federal government for help. We just deployed this morning 46 members of our urban search and rescue team up to New Hampshire in advance of Hurricane Lee's and two canines, I might add, in advance of Hurricane Lee's landfall um, because the, the it looks like New Hampshire, Maine might need support. And so they turn around, ask for help. FEMA is providing that help. We have been asking for help, and this is a national crisis that demands that. In terms of the right to shelter, uh, to specifically answer your question, you know, there is a lot of conversations happening uh, with the courts for further clarification uh, and us sort of challenging uh, some of the, the tenants of the right to shelter, of the consent decree that established it. 
whether uh, there are certain requirements that, that are needed to, um, to be uh, um, to get the right to shelter for somebody if, there's a, if, if it needs to be means tested or needs tested. So a lot of those conversations are taking place uh, with the state, uh, with the courts and with the lawyers. All right. Well, Commissioner, please keep us posted. I saw recently that it looks like the federal government's going to give, I think it's like a hundred million. Uh, you're saying the price tag's 12 billion. Uh, at least the, the mayor has. So the hundred million coming from the feds is a yeah, drop in and, the bucket. And if I could just add one other thing on this, you know, when you look at the history of, of large mass forced migrations to this country going back to World War II, over a million, 1.8 million refugees out of World War II. We had Vietnamese in the 70s after the Vietnam War, Cuban boats in 79 and 80, Soviet Jews in the 80s, Haitians in the early 90s. Um, in every single one of these, these instances, the federal government ran large programs that became investments. And I think part of the problem in here is the, in the absence of that type of action, you are having a lot of folks that – and Bloomberg – Mayor Bloomberg wrote an incredible op-ed in the New York Times last week that I encourage everybody to read that really articulated this much better than I am. But really, we have a system that is totally broken. And it, it people are brought into this country. Uh, they are not allowed to work. They then become sort of subject to the public charge. We have to pay our tax dollars to care for them. But – if we are enabling them to work, if we are providing work authorization, if we are getting them out on their own two feet, it becomes an investment. And every single one of those populations went on to make great contributions to American society and the American economy. One, one I've gotten last... to know Go ahead. Go ahead, a lot of folks. I've gotten to know a lot of folks in our care. I believe that could be true of this population as well. But it requires that type of investment that is not taking place on the part of the federal government. Uh, one last question. My wife is uh, texting me. Uh, Congressman Smith uh, was on yesterday, and he's concerned about 85,000 uh, children on a federal basis that are missing. Have you heard anything about that? I have not heard anything about that. I have not heard anything about that. Um, okay. I'm happy to look into it, but I, but I have not. Yeah, please look and, into and it. And please tell your wife I say hello, and I, I will look into it. I will do that. Thank you. Rita, who Thank do we have? Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Yep, and we're going to take a break now. Thank you, Commissioner, very much. And after the break, uh, we're probably going to have uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, and we will have Michael Goodwin. A lot more ahead here on Cats and Cosby, everybody. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, with us now is Dr. Mark Siegel, and uh, welcome back from Europe. Hey, great to be on with you, John. Welcome. Uh, I, I love it there in Paris. And you know what they have over here? It's, I'm sad to say they got cleaner streets and I don't see any rats. Rats come from Paris, but I didn't see them. They're all here now. They, how'd they get across the Atlantic? What a ma- by the way, we're jealous because uh, you know we love Paris. Um, you know, doctors. They're very, they're very skinny rats, though. Yeah, they. Well, they you know they uh, drink a lot of wine. Yes, too. yes, and escargot <laughs> and onion, onion soup. Escargot. Onion soup won't get well, you that's skinny. Another great point. Rats would prefer Paris. There's better. There's better drippings in the streets that's over right. there too. They have a certain je ne sais quoi. Isn't that correct? <laughs> <laughs> very Whoa. nice. Oui, oui. Very, very nice. Doctor Siegel, what's up? What did you learn in Paris? 
Well, I already said, well, the other one thing I can tell you already know, which is that you actually can eat pasta in Paris and cheese and drink wine and you don't gain weight. I don't understand that other than what, every, what I've been saying and everyone else says, which is we have processed foods here. We got chemicals, we got additives, and they don't have them there. Now, I'm not saying you can go there and eat three bowls of pasta, but you, you actually can have souffle. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I loved Brittany and I love Normandy. I spent time up in oh. Brittany. I speak French. And it, it, I'm not fluent anymore, but it was a pleasure because it's a part of France that's left where most of the people don't speak English. So you get by with your friend with your French. Beautiful. By the way, Normandy. So just it's such a special place, too, and obviously a place of heroes, too. You know, um, also, uh, a lot of people are talking about this new vaccine uh, that's coming out. The new covid vaccine. What is it like round 30? I'm not sure. Or 40. Uh, is it safe? Should we do it? What do you know? Well, I don't like that all the conversation. I came to the conclusion finally because I've been watching this for three and a half years. And as you probably know, Rita, I have a big background in studying viruses and flu and vaccines. And, and I actually came to the conclusion that the politicizing of this has overcome the science once and for all. Because really, here's, this, here's this, the truth. The truth is the virus has gotten weaker as it has evolved. It's not as deadly overall in most cases. We're still within the Omicron family. There's still subvariants. Mostly it's an upper respiratory infection unless you're in a high-risk group. And the vast majority of people in this country have immunity, either because they had COVID, they got exposed, or because they had some measure of shots. So the times have changed for the better with COVID, you know, and I'm not expecting a big surge. There's a reason we're out of the pandemic. Having said that, I don't think that choice means vilification. I think you could decide you don't mm-hmm. want this shot or you don't you, or you recommend your friends don't get it without vilifying it because it still does some good. It does good if you're in a high risk group. It Absolutely. does good if you haven't had COVID recently and, and, and if you're elderly. So these are the people that should be considering it. I welcome the conversation. I'm trying to get some of it in my office now. If I get some of it, you know what's going to happen. Somebody has a side effect. They're going to go crazy. It's your fault, Dr. Siegel, recommending the shot. Well, I was talking to Dr. Michalos, and he says if we have a vitamin D level between 50 and 100,000, we might be quasi-immune. No, I don't agree with that, but I agree with almost everything Niccolo says. And one of them is one of them is he's on track with the vitamin D. He's not wrong about yeah. the vitamin D. I don't think it gives you immunity, but it definitely. Not, not, I used the wrong word, not immunity, but it gives you a, a, a strengthen a, a strengthen your immunity protection. system. There's no question about yes. that. He's right. Yes. I learn a lot from Peter. He's a yeah. he's a great guy. He he's going to convince me to buy a place in Portugal. By the way. Oh my <laughs> God! Don't, right do now, I'm so- don't do it. Paris is better, and Athens is better. Rome is better. Uh, Governor Patterson, your question. Uh, Mark, I'm doctor. I'm thinking that maybe what the problem is with the new vaccine is that it's still treating the sources of the old virus. In other words, that it's really not updated. To what's dangerous now. It is, though, David. It, Governor, it is. The new vaccine is targeting the XBB subvariant, which has been replaced by the EG.5 and the BA.2.86, if you can believe all these numbers. But they're descendants of the XBB, and they've been tested, and they're effective. This particular vaccine covers the variants that are out, subvariants that are out there now. Well, thank you. Dr. Mark Siegel, you always have a wealth of information. And next time you take us to Paris, all right? 
Don't you dare oh, go without us. Fine. That's a good plan. I mean, you know, some of these are expensive we'll take, restaurants. We'll, we'll take my plane over. Oh, that, let's go tomorrow. I'm ready. I'm still jet lagged. <laughs> I'm still jet lagged from coming back. I'm ready to return. We'll catch up again Thank real you. soon. Doctor, uh, we love thank you. you. Thank you. Great to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you. And joining us now, we have Pulitzer Prize winning columnist from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. Uh, Michael, everybody talking about the Hunter Biden charges. And also you wrote a really powerful column about the president himself. Take it away. Well, thank you, Rita. Look, I think that the, it is good that uh, finally Hunter Biden is going to be held accountable for at least the gun crime that he committed that everyone knows he committed. He wrote about it. Uh, so there's no question about that. Uh, it, it stands in very stark, stark contrast to the fact that the the plea agreement that the U.S. attorney was going to give him would have allowed him to escape an actual felony charge and and any charge at all on this gun case. So the fact that the Republicans are banging on on the Biden family corruption, the fact that media such as the New York Times and your show that we're doing this, I think, has put the pressure on the U.S. attorney. Now, there is still, of course, many, many open questions about the taxes and ultimately about Joe Biden's role. Um, I, we may get to the tax issues fairly. There may be real charges coming on that, perhaps money laundering, perhaps the FARA registration. But I see no indication that anybody in the Justice Department is taking seriously the question of President Biden's role in these schemes while he was vice president. So that's quite disheartening. Yeah, I'm very troubled by it's Richard Weinberg, Michael. I'm very troubled by that too. But let me ask you something else. You had an interesting column the other day and you talked about if the Democrats in essence had common sense, they'd invite President Biden to uh to retire. And <laughs> invite you, him to retire. What, that's you, a new have you heard of that one, Ed? You can sure. use it. That's you a can new use one. It. Please retire, <laughs> Mr. President. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you. Sure. So what do you what do you make of that? Michael? Do you think that's president. a possibility? Call, call him down to the uh, to the breakfast room and say, "Sir, we're sorry to see you go, but here's your hat." <laughs> <laughs> That's quite Look, an invitation. I, I believe that this is a rolling event. This is not uh, static. So I believe more and more rep- Democrats are coming around to this. That he simply is hobbled in so many ways, and Hunt, the Hunter Biden case is one of those ways. Of course, his age is another. His mental decline is another. His bad polling over the economy, over over what's going on in the world, inflation. All of these things, I think, are adding up to more and more Democrats saying, look, this guy can't cut the mustard anymore, and he's going to take the whole party down in 2024. So how do so we get rid of Harris? We've got to find some way for him to get out and some way for some new blood to come in, and Kamala Harris ain't the answer. So who is the answer, uh, Michael Goodwin? Because even David Ignatius, who has been like probably Biden's biggest supporter, wrote yesterday and everyone's still talking about it today. Uh, there should not be a Biden in 2024 and forget Kamala Harris. So who do you see as the alternative? Is there anyone out there? And when could that happen if you think it's going to happen? If that invitation has the judge the talked invitation about. to retire. Yeah, where is that right? Well, it's in the mail, huh? Um, <laughs> look, I, I think Gavin Newsom is an obvious, uh, 
candidate. He's running. He's been waiting breathlessly for Biden to step aside. But if Biden were to step aside soon enough, then I think others would get in, too. Don't forget the the primary system really begins in January. Uh, For the Democrats, South Carolina is the first state. They've rejiggered the order of things. Um, And so South Carolina and then I believe Nevada. Um, And so what they... People would need to get on the ballot. They'd need to raise money, of course. Yeah, you think the party would want to have some forums and debates. So the timetable is getting is getting uh, pushed. There's not a lot of time, but there's still time. And I believe that the pressures on Joe, Bill, Joe Biden are building day by day, hour by hour. And now to the prospect of his son being on trial while he's running for president, that's uh, that's that's really, I mean, if it weren't for the Trump situation, you would say that alone would do it. But I think that Joe Biden cannot take all this pressure. There's no basis for it. His his polling is so terrible on the policies. Uh, to me, it's just a matter of when, not if. It talks. So, so Governor Newsom uh, is uh, positioning himself here. But who else would you see as a sleeper who, in fact, could like maybe the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis or some other? Well, look, I think if it's an open race, you're going to have a lot of the the gang getting back together from 2020. So you uh, Harris, I think, almost has to run. Will Cory Booker run? Will Pete Buttigieg run? Michelle Uh, Obama. What about her? Well, perhaps. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Michael Bloomberg will decide to get back into it. But, uh, you know, Amy Klobuchar ran the last time, got some good notice. So I think there is there is a willing field out there, but those who can raise money will have a premium advantage because of the timing being so short. What about Hillary? We have a, you have a, I didn't hear that name in there. Well, let's, let's well that's, that. that's what about, what about David Patterson? <laughs> David Patterson is my vote. That's for sure. Don't, we don't love do him. that to David. They'll, they'll, they'll do something. To yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't say it. We didn't, we didn't say, say it. David Patterson. <laughs> Michael Goodwin, we thank love you. Thank you, Michael Goodwin. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. You're terrific. And guys, all oh, thank Governor Patterson, Ed Cox. Uh, you mean President Patterson. President <laughs> <laughs> Judge Weinberg, Rita, thank you all. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.